Well, I hope you pray for one another as you uh, interact and as we, um, you know, endeavor to live for Christ. We need one another. We need relationships with each other. I want to ask you to pray for John Biddle, Pastor John Biddle right over here. Um, many of you may not know that John has a son. His name is John Ashley. And um, I don't believe he's ever been here at Centerpoint Bible Church. But yesterday uh, afternoon, through a series of very bad decisions, um, John's son, John, passed away. Um, so uh, it was a, uh, a drug-induced death. And um, be praying for that family. And you know, it's just uh, an indication of the consequences of sin. You know, we live in a world that is opposed to Christ and is run by the enemy of God. The prince of the power of this world is Satan. And he is desiring to do three things. To kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's the desire of this world, folks. And the whole system is designed by the enemy of God to take people out. To take believers out. To take people to hell, quite honestly. But we have the message of Jesus Christ. We know Christ. If you're in Jesus today, you know Him. And we know the grace that people need. Let's pray together now for John and um, his family who's grieving. And just pray that God would just speak to our hearts this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. For the grace that allows new creatures to be born again. To bring new life into dead men. God, I thank you that you've done that in people's lives. As I look out here right now, I see new creatures here. Old, gone, behold, all things are new. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Lord, we we do know many people that are suffering the consequences of sin. Some of them, it's not even their own sin, Lord. It's the sin of their loved ones. And Lord, it hurts, and we pray for comfort. We pray for your comfort to come. And Lord, I pray you use us to share your gospel with this world that's lost and broken and headed to hell. God, break our hearts for people. May we have the heart of Jesus that came in Jerusalem and wept over the people who were living like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and being destroyed, and he wept for them. God, revealing your heart, revealing what the heart of God is, weeping over lost people and desiring for grace to come their way. Lord, you've done a miracle in our lives. May we celebrate it. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was growing up as a child, my father had a room downstairs in the basement that for a few months out of the year we were not allowed to go into. Okay? Now, this room was his workshop or his wood shop. My father is a, 
is a, is a master carpenter. And um, he doesn't make furniture or homes. That's not what he does. He makes small little intricate things, okay? Little boxes and little like, you know, just little things you put up on cabinets and, or on shelving and that kind of thing. That, that's just what he does. And so every year about October or so, the room that me and my brother like to go and play in, his wood shop, would be locked. There would be a padlock on the door outside and you couldn't get in. Because my dad's in there in the wood shop working away. So, you know, many evenings a week, uh, through the week, he'd go downstairs, unlock the door, he'd go in and he'd get to work. And he'd be in there making something for us because Christmas is coming. Now, my brother and I were sure he was making us, you know, a bicycle or a four-wheeler or, you know, something really cool, you know, like maybe a fire hat and a hose and we could spray. We just had these big ideas of what he would make us. You know, the things he would craft for us. We just couldn't wait to see what it was, what great tool that he, toy that he had made for us. Well, one year, my brother and I are climbing around the basement. I don't know what we're doing, but, but we find this hole in the drywall that was around his wood shop. So down the ground, back in the corner, there was this hole in the drywall. The door's locked, but we can get in now. So have you ever seen that movie Escape from Alcatraz? Okay, that's what we did. We got a, we got a screwdriver and started, you know, looking around, laying on the ground. Is anybody coming? And we'd poke away at the drywall, opening up a hole so we could climb in to the wood shop to see the, the wonderful toys that he made for us, right? I mean, we just pictured, we'd just walk in and be like, you know, a Toys R Us. You know, every toy imaginable, G.I. Joe and all these things. He's in there making all these things. This is going to be it. We're going to break in and see all these toys. So that particular day, you know, we're in there working hard, you know, carrying out the little crumbs of drywall in our, in our pockets like the great escape. Okay, that's not really true, but, you know, you get the idea. And we finally got through into the wood shop, okay? And we climb in there, and we walk up to the, to the workbench where he's making something, and there's these, like, little boxes, you know, these little, like, figurines, you know, like he whittled this, like, little kid, you know, with the fishing pole or something we're like are you serious no gi joes no weebles no adventure people we have these little wooden toys that stinks we crawl back in the hole now it's 10 it's 10 years old now i'm 46 and you go into my closet today and you walk in there where all my stuff is, if you can get in there through all the clothes and all that kind of stuff, and go up to the top shelf, you'll find a box there. You'll find little things that my dad made out of wood. You won't find one G.I. Joe. You don't find one Weeble. You don't find one of those little adventures. You don't find any of those. But you know what you do find? You find the things my father fashioned for me out of his hands. Because at 10, I was too immature to understand the glory of this moment. I was too immature to understand the wonder of what had happened. You see, I was still thinking I wanted a G.I. Joe. But now that I'm 46, I know I want something that's got my father's blood, sweat, and tears on it. Right? And it's been touched by his hand. And it's been made for me. Listen. I want to go to the book of Ephesians today. 
And I want to talk to us about what our Father has done. And I'm not going to try to sell you a G.I. Joe or an adventure toy. I don't have a shiny red Corvette to offer you today. I don't have a beautiful house or an easy life or a beautiful this or a beautiful that. But I've got a gift that I want to talk about that God has provided to us. Wonder of wonders what God has given to us. And it's amazing, truly amazing what God has done. And as we mature in Christ, as we grow in our understanding of who we are and who we were, the wonder of God's gifts grow in our hearts, in our minds. I'm going to look today, I'm going to start into a little bit of a series here in Ephesians chapter 1. As I've read through Ephesians 1 many, many, many times over the last few months, I've been impressed by Ephesians 1 with 16 things that God has done in us as believers. And I want to start today down this road of sweet, the sweet 16. 16 things that, the God, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have done in, has done in our lives. And if you're in Christ today, all 16 of these things are true of you. They were true of you the moment you put your trust in Jesus. Whether you were four years old at your house with your parents, or you were 44 years old and lived a life of great difficulty and struggle, and then came to Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus, all 16, thing of, 16 of these things were true of you. God did this miracle in your life. And I'll tell you my plan. Here's my plan, just so you know what's happening for the next 50 minutes or so, 45 minutes. I'm going to talk from Ephesians 1. I'm going to get as far as I can, okay? I'm not going to get all the way through all 16. That's not going to happen. I'm going to get as far as I can. You, have a, you see how far I think I might get today, but I don't really know, okay? So we'll charge into it today, and we'll see what we look at, what, what we see in the wonders of what God has done. At the end of our service, I want you to know we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate what God has done, how God has brought this gift to us through the sacrifice and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So that's our plan. What I want to do is I I want to build up the potential of our worship. I want to fill up the potential of our worship so that at the end of our service, it just explodes with worship to God. In song, in communion, and then in running out of here to influence our world. That's my hope. That's my plan. Let's read Ephesians 1, starting at verse number 3. It's going to be kind of long today. I'm going to go to verse 14. See if you can find all 16 of them, okay? Maybe you'll find, I don't know, maybe you'll find more, but I found 16. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom 
and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Great truth. At least 16 things that God did the moment you put your trust in Jesus. And the thing that amazes me about these is they address the biggest problem that man has. The biggest problem that man has. The biggest problem that we have is our sinfulness. And these 16 things address that problem. They, they respond to the problem that we have of sin. Every single one of us, no matter how pretty you look, no matter how nice you look, no matter how religious you may be, we are all sinners falling short of the glory of God. It was the greatest problem that, that mankind ever had was our sin problem. It was a problem so great, it was a problem so horrible, it was a problem so devastating that it required the God of the universe to address it. It was the only hope that man ever had was for the God of the universe now to invade our lives to address our sin problem. What we're going to see about the Father and His work in our life, His initiation now of working in our life, it was no dynamic effort between us and God. It was all God initiating this work in our life. No man would ever come up with that. No man would ever come up with the idea that the God of the universe had to step in totally to save us. If any man designed this, if you designed a plan for the redemption of mankind, you would include effort on your part. You would, you would initiate this offer from yourself. You would be good enough or act enough or be religious enough so that God would respond. But that's not the way that God describes it. God describes it in this way. You and I were dead in our sins. Dead in our trespasses. Lost a dead man. Blind by birth. Blind by Satan. Dead. How does a dead man respond? He doesn't. So God initiated so god worked that's the great rescuing god that you can know the sad part the sad part of human existence is this man knows and woman know that they are sinners we know that we're sinners our conscience bears witness against us the word of god speaks against us 
people of God, their lives show us that we're sinners. And so we stand before the Lord with two problems. And I'll tell you what these are. We'll hit these a little bit in the next, couple, next three weeks. We have a problem. Man has a problem. It's sin, and it shows itself in two ways. Two ways. One is guilt, and the other is shame. I want to take just a minute today and talk about these because they're wrecking people's lives, and the answer to both is found in the gospel, and we will see it here in Ephesians 1. Let me just try to quickly explain the difference between the two. Guilt is a failure to live up to a law. You're driving down the road, you exceed the speed limit, you are guilty of breaking a law. Guilt is all about a standard. I didn't meet the standard, so now I feel guilt. You understand guilt? Guilt is about me violating a standard. And consequently, there's punishment that comes in my life. That's guilt. There's another problem that man has. And this one may be even more damaging than guilt. And it's called shame. Now listen to what shame is. Because I, I want us to understand the bad news so we can treasure the good news. While guilt is about violating a standard... Guilt is about violating a rule. Guilt is realizing I have done wrong. Oh, that's guilt. Shame, though, is about violating a person. Shame is about offending somebody else's expectation of us. Where guilt says, I have done wrong, shame says, I am wrong you get the difference guilt is i violated the speed limit oh i speed i was i i went above the speed limit that was wrong shame is i am nothing but a dirty rotten speeder now i know that seems silly but put it into other arenas of life when you lie you may feel guilty over the lie But when you practice lying, you experience the shame of being a liar. Different, isn't it? When you commit sexual sin, you have the guilt over that sexual sin. Oh, God, why? But when it's a practice in your life, you can become convinced that you are an adulterer. And then you have shame. Listen, the gospel answers both. The answer to your guilt is forgiveness. The answer to your shame is acceptance. Jesus Christ brings you forgiveness. And Jesus Christ brings you acceptance. Guilt dealt with at the cross. Shame erased because of your identity in Jesus. Don't allow either one to wreck you any longer. See what God has done. Verse number three. The first of the 16, okay, is this. That God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Every single spiritual blessing. Now that is pretty amazing. And the word I want you to remember here is what you have in Jesus. Now hear this. 
You are sufficient in Christ. Every blessing has come your way. So you have all you need to live your life in Jesus. Every single blessing God has provided for you. He has not held back, folks. It is not true that God has held something back from you. You are not so far from God. You have not gone so far away from the Lord that His blessings, His spiritual blessing now, is now out of your reach. When you come to Jesus, or when you did come to Jesus, every single spiritual blessing came to you. Every single one of them. God held nothing back. That is amazing. Because, see, we as humans, we, we're really good at pecking order. And we can look around and we can say, oh, that person's pretty high on the God-liking scale, but that person's pretty low. And this little scale that I'm drawing over here is hogwash. It doesn't exist, not with the Lord. Oh, it exists with man. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. At the heart. And Paul here is declaring, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that when you are in Christ, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you look to the finished work of Christ on the cross, and repented and turned to Him, and He forgave you, every spiritual blessing came your way. Listen how Peter says it in 2 Peter chapter 1. Hear these words. His... Being the Lord Jesus Christ, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Second Peter 1. God has brought to you all things. You have been given sufficiency in Christ. So please, listen, listen. Stop believing the lie. Stop believing the lie of the great deceiver who's telling you, you can't be forgiven. You cannot be changed. You've been doing this for too long. You've been lying for too long. You've been stealing for too long. You've been doing drugs for too long. Whatever you want to pick. I don't care. You've been being religious for too long. You've been putting on a little show here at church for too long. No! That is a lie of Satan now, who is called the accuser of the brethren. God is saying, no, I've given you every single spiritual blessing. I have not held back. You, my friend, brother, sister in Christ, you are sufficiently provided for this is the sufficiency of you as a believer. That's amazing. It's amazing. Continuing on. The next one, look what it says. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now what I want you to remember here is that you and I have been born again. He chose us, but I'm calling that, I'm labeling that, I'm connecting that with the idea that we've been born again. I'll tell you why why I got there in just a couple minutes. 
First of all, let's say just a couple of things about this, okay? It says here that he, that God, this is, he here is God the Father of Jesus Christ. And he chose us in him before the, even the foundation of the world. So we now have a timetable applied to God's working in your life. God worked in your life now. Those of you that are in Christ, God did a work before even the foundation of the world. God was doing a work in you. God chose to bring you to himself before he even made the earth now. He chose for you to be brought to him. Now this is not the only place that election is spoken of. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 16. Listen to Jesus in John 15, 16. He, say, he, he is here speaking to the disciples, and, and really it, it applies to us as well, those who are in Christ. And he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, be, should abide so that whatever you ask, in the fa- ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And turn over to John 17. If you're there in John 15, turn over a page to John 17. Look at verse 6. It says, I have manifest... Now Jesus is now praying to the Father. This is the prayer of Jesus to the Father. He says, I have manifested your name, God, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Listen, if you're in Christ, understand the timetable. God planned all that he was going to do. And you might think, oh, well, the important part, that's probably the earth, right? Maybe the chemical elements. Maybe that's the most important thing God did. Maybe it's the stars and the moons and the planets and all that. No. No. Before the foundation of the world, God looked forward and selected you. You. This word chose does not mean knew it was coming. It means to choose from others to himself. Remember kickball? Kickball wasn't that bad. It was the picking of teams that stunk. Right? You know, you're all lined up there, gym teacher saying, all right, you and you, you're the captains. And of course, they're always the captains. You know, out walk these giant kids, you know, six foot five in fourth grade. And now they start picking people. And all of a sudden you realize they're not picking me. Still not picking me. Still not picking me. And you get down, you look across the playground now, and there he stands. You and him. You look at him, he looks at you. You feel bad for the other guy, but you don't want to be last, right? You don't want to feel that. Listen, God selected you. It had to be that way. 
It had to be that way. Because man would never select God. We would never choose God. The Bible is very clear. We hate God in our nature. We're opposed to God. We love sin. We love darkness. Jesus says in John chapter 7, they don't come to the light because they love the darkness. So God in eternity past took a giant flashlight and shined it forward through thousands of years onto your face. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be we take these next two things together holy and blameless holy and blameless i want to pick these two together because they they're kind of the they're describing the same concept from two different viewpoints okay They're describing the same thing from this side and from that side. Let's see what they mean. First of all, holy, okay? Now, holy does not mean really, really moral. It doesn't mean that you morally exceed. It doesn't mean that you follow all the rules. It doesn't mean that when it comes to being a good guy, man, you are a good guy. That's not what the word holy means. You see, the Roman Catholic Church has taken the word holy and has stripped it of its biblical meaning and given it new meaning. And so a lot of us are now, we are, we are impressed by that idea of a holy saint. And that is not what this word means. In reality, I think it best means, now listen to this, a contrasting life. I've never defined it that way before, before, so that's new. Listen. It's a contrasting life. Holiness is a contrasting life. This is holiness. Imagine all the world moving in this direction. This is all of the world. This is not holy. You cannot move this way as a really good guy and be holy. If you are moving in the direction of the world, that is not holiness. Holiness is a contrasting individual. It is to be utterly different and separate from everything else. You and I, God has made you. He chose you now. He chose you and made you different than every buddy else that's living in this way it's what he did to you it's why the last word was born again that's what it took this change is so great this is not something you're improved to you don't you know practice at this and get better that's not what happens the change that god does is so dramatic and so utterly changing of you that it requires Being born again. A whole new existence. God, when you were saved, He took your spirit now, He took your soul, and He made it brand new, different, separate, holy. That's why you don't fit. 
That's why when you allow that holiness to come out, when you allow your new nature to reflect itself, when you allow it to seep out your pores into the world that you live in, the world hates it. That's why. That's why. Don't you remember your parents saying to you, they're picking on you just because they're jealous. They don't like you because you're different. Remember all that? Okay? They were right in some ways. Now, they were just trying to just rub your back and make you feel better too. But they were right in some ways. The world hates Jesus. So the world hates the difference that Jesus makes in an individual. So when God, supernaturally now, every spiritual blessing comes your way, chooses you to bore you again, and makes you holy now, separate, different, Jesus says, do not be surprised, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, that the world hates you. They hated me first. Peter says this, you are a chosen race, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, now hear this, a holy nation. So that expression, holy nation, does that mean, class, holy nation, does that mean, A, that you're really, really, really good? B, that you don't hardly ever sin, so you're holy. C, you're really, really shiny. Or D, does it mean that we are a different set of people? Gee, I wonder what the right answer is. It's D, in case you didn't know. We, the believers in Christ, the ones that the Father has given this gift to of making us a brand new creature, Peter describes it and says that we now are a separate nation. Can I say this? Find your fellow nationals and bind with them. They're there. They're there. There are people at your school who know Christ. There is is someone at your office who knows Jesus. There are people in your home who know Christ. Find them. Find them. Be that holy nation. And not only are we holy, go back to Ephesians 1. You didn't leave it, but Ephesians 1. We got this holiness, this separate differentness, And blameless. Blameless now before Him. Here's what this means. Blameless is this idea that we are without blemish. If you're in Christ, you are without blemish. When God sees you, He sees external purity. God cannot see your sin. When God sees you, if you are in Christ, a huge part of the gift that He has given you is when He sees you now, He sees the righteousness of Christ. 
And you and I are blameless now before Him. Understand these, th- these four things. That's all I'm getting to today. These four things. Every spiritual blessing, chosen Him, holy, blameless. Listen, this is nothing that you are to go do. God hasn't told you to do a single thing in those verses. Understand what a relationship is with God. He's not saying go be holy. He's not saying go be blameless. He's not saying go be chosen. He's not saying go have every spiritual gift. He's not saying that. He's saying if you're in Christ, it's done. If you're in Christ, it's you. This is your identity. For years as a pastor, I tried to I tried to exhort people live like a Christian. I tried to push people be godly. I tried to twist arms be like Jesus. And what I'm learning from Ephesians is we simply got to tell each other how rich we are in Christ. How much God has done in us already before the foundation of the world. We need to tell each other about what God has done. And I will trust Him for the fruit in your life. And I will trust Him for the fruit in my life. And I will trust Him, the Father, to make my holiness shine, to make my blamelessness evident, to allow my election and choice in Him to be sure. This is the work that God has done. I told you last week that Ephesians tells us a lot. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, it is all about your riches and your forgiveness in Christ. In that long sentence that I read, verses 3 through 14, in the Greek it's one sentence. Verses 3 through 14, it's one sentence. And now hear this. There's not one thing that you are called to do in that whole sentence. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, the only thing you're called to do in all of that scripture is remember how far you were from Christ. That's the only thing you're told to do in chapters 1, 2, and 3. God's trying to make a point. God is trying to make a point. His point is this. God has given you everything you need When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant us. If you're in Christ, your salvation is secure. Your identity is finished. There's no shame. I am a child of God. And you can be too. 
Have you put your trust in him? Not in yourself. See, religion doesn't save. Religion doesn't bring us to God. Religion doesn't fix guilt or shame. It just makes it worse. The only hope we have is what I hoped to finish with today. And that God has lavished upon us grace and placed us in his beloved. Now in a moment I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and move us in our element of worship. But during that time of prayer, if you need to put your trust in Christ, I'm going to help you do that. You might realize as we talk about these things that God did in believers, you may realize He has never done that in me. You need to respond if that's true. Telling you no, you're a sinner. That you look to the finished work of Christ on the cross, the work that the Father has done in your life, the work that the Spirit is going to continue to do, and He'll save you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your work that you did on our behalf. Father in heaven, we thank you for your plan that brought us salvation, that rid us of guilt and shame, that took the penalty we deserved and placed it on your Son, Jesus. Now listen, just continuing to pray, an attitude of prayer, that is. If you need to put your trust in Christ, tell Him that now in your heart. Tell Him that now in your heart. That as best as you know how, you want to put your, your trust in what Jesus has done. Tell Him that. For others of us, maybe you're in Jesus, but in reality, the Father's not ruling. The Father's not controlling. Give your life up to Him. He's there. He hasn't changed. He takes away guilt. He takes away shame. Lord Jesus, we pray to You because we are the heirs of this great grace that allows us to come to you in confidence. Amen.